How many of you are glad it doesn't get dark until 8 o'clock? Amen. Now here's a contentious question that you may not know is a thing. Are you aware that the Senate voted unanimously to get rid of daylight savings? Okay, you're cheering, but you do understand that if you're still going to be in school next year, it means when you get to school, it will be dark out, and the sun will rise while you are in class, and then it will set before school ends. So, I mean, I could not be a problem, but all I'm saying is I don't think I like it personally, but that's okay. That's okay. Hey, can we get the lights turned on, Sam or someone can... Can you just turn all the lights on? Hey, we're going to make this quick. Shh, what's up? Hi, everyone. Shh, hey, we're going to make this really quick tonight. Uh, last week we went over by quite a lot, so uh, I want to give you a lot of time to hang out with your small groups. going to get you out of here before 8.25 is my plan. So that's like 14 minutes here that I got, everyone. So... We're going to make this go quick. And, and the reason why I wanted to go quick is because this is a message that I do not even want to attempt to overcomplicate because it's actually really simple. And really, we're just having a conversation. And so I, I sort of uh, have two different ways where I think teaching works. There's either sermons or there's like devotional thoughts. And this is much more of a devotional thought. It's much more something that I want us together to have a conversation about, want us together to think about and ponder, and then you'll take it into your small groups and have a discussion about it. Uh, we're not going to get too deep. But before I say anything, if you are here for the first time and we've never met before, my name is Matt Velasco. I'm so glad that you are here. You may notice that we say something around these parts. We say that we believe that Wednesday nights are the best night of the week. And we don't just think they're the best night of the week because we think here at Grace is super awesome, but we believe that wherever you are spending time with the Lord on a Wednesday night with other high schoolers is the best night of the week. And so thank you for being here, whether it's your first, second, hundredth time, super excited to be with you tonight. And if you are new, we hope you love it, and I want to personally invite you to come back in three weeks. I would especially invite you to come to the worship night next week at the Chaska campus, a.k.a. Southwest Christian High School, uh, 615, and then also tune into the home group um, wherever you end up going uh, to hear from Pastor Troy. It's going to be super sweet. So, How many of you have ever heard of the movie titled 127 Hours? Anyone? Okay. 127 Hours is a... Is a movie, a documentary, which documents the true story of a guy by the name of Aaron Ralston. He had a climbing accident in Utah. And uh, this climbing accident actually left him alone, trapped in the, the, the crevice of a canyon or a canyon. Is it canyon or canyon? Is it canyon? Do you, do you enunciate the Y, canyon? Okay. Got st I went to college. Okay, so he got stuck in the crevice of a canyon for 127 hours, isolated by himself with his arm pinned in between a boulder and the canyon wall. Five days into being trapped alone, he made the impossible decision to amputate his own arm using his pocket knife. Horrible, yet life-saving. 
It was a horrible, excruciating thing that he went through, and yet it saved his life. It was either his arm or his life, and he had to choose. And tonight, we're going to be talking about how it is either your foot, your eye, your hand, or your life. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 18, verses 7 through 9. That's where we're going to be camping out tonight. And while you're turning there, I just want to ask you a simple question. Are you killing your sin? John Owen, a long-since-dead theologian, uh, wrote a book titled The Mortification of Sin, where he coined this phrase, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And it offers for us a very vivid uh, image of what it means for us to war against our sin, to battle against our sin. And we see that the consequences of entertaining any sin is that it will literally kill you. And so just like the boulder that was pinning Aaron against the wall of a remote and lowly canyon, so too will your sin kill you if you don't cut off whatever it is that is keeping you trapped. We all have a boulder. So we have to do everything we can to kill or cut off the sin that would otherwise kill us. And so simply put, tonight we're going to have a practical conversation about what it means to resist temptation or in other words, kill or cut off sin. Because we know that each and every time you resist the temptation to lust, to gossip, to lie, to hate, to judge, you deal a blow to that sin that would otherwise take root within you and kill you eventually. So Matthew chapter 18 verses 7 through 9 says this, Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, tonight as we discuss what it means to practically resist temptation, to cut off sin from our life, to be killing sin before it kills us, God, would you be with us? Would you encourage us, Lord? Would we see the hope of the gospel in the midst of this conversation? We praise you in your name. Amen. And so the idea behind this scripture is that Jesus is teaching us what we have to do to guard ourselves against temptations to sin. And it's important to note that the actions that are taken are immediate, decisive, and absolute. And so just like Aaron uh, had to cut off his arm, he didn't cut it off with this idea that like, well, the doctors will just be able to sew it back on. He cut it off knowing he was losing his arm forever. We should have that same mentality against our sin. We should have the same mentality that no matter the pain, no matter the discomfort, no matter the way it's going to change my life, for the sake of my relationship with Jesus, I'm going to cut off all sin. And so am I instructing you to literally remove your hand, your foot, and your eye? No, I am not. But I am instructing you to take literal, immediate, decisive, and absolute action against your sin. 
So do you grasp for power? Do you want to be the most popular person in the whole entire world? Do you rush to judgment? Do you easily lose your temper? Do you overstuff your stomach? Do you gossip? Do you hoard money? Do you overlook the unimportant? Are you lazy? Do you think of yourself to be oh so very important? All of these are sins that act like boulders that pin us in the midst of a canyon. That could kill us. And what Jesus is saying is that we have to cut it off and we have to cut it out. Cut off pride, cut off lust, cut off laziness, cut off anger, cut off greed, cut off envy, cut off gluttony. Cut off your sin because it will kill you. It will. Be silling or be silling. <laughs> be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Jesus says it's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. What Jesus is saying here is that it's better for you to endure the pain of struggling against temptation than it is for you to let the sin you struggle against kill you. So I might be thinking like, Matt, okay, we understand that sin's really dangerous. We don't want to mess with sin. We don't need to, we don't want to be stuck against the canyon wall with this boulder of lust, with this boulder of anger, with this boulder of whatever it might be. So what can we do? Well, I'm going to give you three things that you can do to kill the sin that is killing you and fight against temptation. So three things, right? One involves the eye, one involves the hand, and the other involves the foot. And then once I'm done with it, I'm going to give you just some practical, like, take these home with you, easily applicable things. Are you ready? We got five minutes. We're going to go quick, but it's super simple, so it'll be okay. So first, your eye. Keep your eyes on God's holiness, we have to keep an eye on our sense of God's holiness if we have any hope in killing sin. And that might seem simple to you because it is. How do we keep our eye on God's holiness? We have a fear of God. And a fear of God is not simply a, oh my goodness, God is so powerful. A fear of God is an awe of God and his goodness and his holiness. When we focus on the goodness and the holiness of God, we actually end up having a right view of sin. What do I mean by that? One writer said this, the loss of the sense of God's holiness always produces the loss of the sense of sin's sinfulness. When God is not feared, sin is not feared. And so if you fear God, if you recognize the consequences of your sin and you are pinned in this metaphorical canyon, you're not just going to sit there and be like, this is great. Like, this feels awesome. I love it here. I'm going to slowly die, and I can't wait. When you actually recognize the fear of God and you recognize the severity of sin, you are trapped against that boulder, and you want to do everything you can to get out of it for the sake of your life. And so you fear God by recognizing his holiness and your lack thereof. That you have been invited towards God. You have, not be, you have not brought yourself to God. He has brought you to him. And so a tolerance of habitual indulgence of sin actually indicates that you do not fear God. I'm going to say that one more time. A tolerance of habitual indulgence of sin is an indicator that you do not fear God. And so you may have heard that right away and been like, well, of course I fear God. But let, let me ask you this. Do you habitually entertain sin, knowing that it is sin? I'm going to watch porn just one more time because I know God will forgive me in the morning. 
I'm going to fill in the blank because I know God's going to forgive me. I mean, it's not that big of a deal if I get drunk. It's not that big of a deal if I lie to my parents. It's not that big of a deal if I gossip behind my best friend's back. If you've said that, then I can point at that and say that's a sign that you do not fear God. And that's a sign that you do not fear sin. When we are in such a state, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and run with perseverance towards him and his holiness. And so if you have no fear of God, you have lost sight of God's holiness. And so how do you get your eyes back on God's holiness? Well, that is number two, your hand, cut it off. Cut it off. If you're in that place and you've lost the sense of God's holiness, then Jesus' words in Matthew 18 might land lightly on you. You might be thinking that it's a warning for someone else. You don't seriously think it applies to you. Like, of course not. You've got your sin under control. So what does Jesus tell us to do if we are uh, infected with a lack of reverence towards God's holiness? It says this, cut off every hand that is causing you to stumble. So like I said, I don't expect you to go to small groups and ritually cut off your hands as a testament to your seriousness in killing sin. That would be weird and culty. And uh, enough people already think Christians are a part of a cult. We don't want to add to it by cutting off our hands. So everyone keep your hands, please. But the time is now to repent and take extreme measure to amputate whatever it is that is entangling you. So what is it that is pinned behind that sin? Like, what sin is it that is pinning you? What hand do you need to get rid of in order to free you from that sin? So I'll go back to the example I already gave. Maybe you're trapped in an addiction to pornography. To metaphorically cut off the hand that is causing you to stumble means that you need to get rid of your phone, your iPad, your laptop, whatever device you use to participate in that sin. Cut it off. And let me be blunt. If you hear that and you're trapped in the cycle of sin and you say, well, it's not that bad. Like, I don't need to go that far, Matt. Then I would once again challenge you that you have most likely forgotten God's holiness and have no fear of him. Because there should be no measure of resistance against our sin that we are not willing to go. If keeping your phone so you can Snapchat your friends has become more important than you killing your sin that separates you from Christ, then you've lost your sense of God's holiness. So number one, keep your eyes on God's holiness. Number two, cut off every hand that is trapping you in sin. And third, the foot, move towards life. The fear of the Lord through recognizing and keeping your eyes on God's holiness is the source of our joy in the Lord. Isaiah 11.3 says, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 14.27 says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Deuteronomy 30.19 says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that your offspring may live. And so my encouragement for you is simply choose life. If you're trapped in a cycle of sin, you probably feel defeated, despair, sadness, shame. And these are all a lack of joy in the Lord. It means that you're focusing on your sin, not on God's holiness. It means that you're focusing on your sin, not how Jesus has rescued you from it. 
It means that you are focusing on your sin, not on joy. And so we have to move towards life. We have to move towards joy. To kill sin means to choose life. Choose joy in the Lord over despair and sin. And it may seem simple, but if you want to kill sin and fight temptation, then you have to have the mental realization that you are choosing despair over joy every single time you sin. Every single time you sin and you willingly do it, I'm going to do this sinful thing, fill in the blank, you are choosing despair over joy because you're taking a step away from life, not towards it. And so at a risk of oversimplifying the fight against temptation, I'm going to challenge you to do these things. One, keep your eyes on God's holiness, which leads to the fear of the Lord. Two, cut off every hand that causes you to sin by radically removing whatever it is that is causing you to sin from your life. Three, choose life by pursuing the joy of the Lord. And in a practical piece of advice, you might be thinking, Matt, what else can I do to step away from sin? There's a, there's a phrase that a pastor I really admire, his name's uh, Jonathan Pecluda, J.P. Pecluda, he says this, uh, uh, change your playground, change your playmates. If you're struggling against sin, change where you hang out. Maybe you are struggling with drugs and yet you go to the skate park in Eden Prairie every single day where I know I could buy any drug I want to. Maybe you hang out with everyone who does drugs. Maybe you hang out with people that party on the weekends. Change your playgrounds, change your playmates. The fight against sin and the temptation of sin starts for you right now. And the question I'm going to leave you with is this. How far are you willing to go to kill the sin that will otherwise kill you? How far are you willing to go to kill the sin that will otherwise kill you? I know these, what ended up being like 15 minutes, not 12, uh, were like a fire hose, and that's slightly purposeful because here's what I want you to do on your way to small groups. I want you to take the time on your way from here to your small groups, next five minutes or however it might take, to think to yourself, to ponder, what is the hand that I need to cut off? Who are th- what is the playground I need to change? Who are the playmates I need to change? What is the thing that is consistently causing me to stumble back into a pattern of sin? And then I want you to tell your small group whatever that thing is as we have an open time of, of discussion about that. So thanks for letting me go quick today. I'm going to pray for you, and then you're going to go off to small groups. Jesus, we love you. God, you are so good, and we are so sinful, and yet you have saved us from that sin. And so we don't cut off every hand that causes us to sin with the understanding that sin will kill us if we don't fight against sin. We don't say that because we don't think the cross is enough, Lord. We say it because we know the cross is enough and you've given us the ability to overcome our sin. Lord, you've given us the ability to resist against the enemy knowing that ultimately the victory is won. God, we love you. We praise you in your name. Amen. Ponder those things. Go to small groups. We'll see you in three weeks.